0: Over the last month or so, we have been looking at the Jewish prayer of allegiance to God called the Shema. And it gets its name from the very first word of the prayer, which is the Hebrew word Shema. And Jewish people, um, even today Orthodox Jewish people, recite this prayer every morning and every evening. And um, they, they kind of use it kind of use it like we might use a daily positive affirmation, right? So they get up in the morning and uh, they're ready for the day. They recite this Shema. And um, what we find in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is actually just kind of the opening line of a, of a larger piece that they will recite that um, recounts God's faithfulness to the Jewish people through uh, the wandering in the desert and then um, some of the laws and just reminding themselves each and every day that God is God, that we follow him, that that, uh, for our case, um, that Jesus is the king. Um, and, and so it just r- kind of recounted God's faithfulness to Israel. It kind of set them in the right mood, put them in the right place, the right frame of mind each and every morning. And so we've spent the last three Sundays looking at specific words in the Shema to better uh, gain a, a, a clearer picture of um, what the Shema calls us to do, which is to love God with everything that we have. And so um, there's a couple of reasons why our English words don't quite convey the same meaning today to us that probably the Jewish people would have understood um, reading this or reciting this in Hebrew, um, or even really we'll talk about later in, in, in Greek or Aramaic, and um, it's it's not really. I mean, there's some really good reasons why it's a little different. And I, I think the biggest reason is that from uh, the day that Moses gave the Shema to the people in Deuteronomy, as he was recounting the last 40 years of the wandering in the desert before they crossed the Jordan River and then um, begin to take the promised land, uh, from the day that Moses gave the Shema um, to, 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 uh, to today is about 3,400 years, roughly, so, like, language has changed, right? Our understanding of, of words and how they're used and how they were used in different contexts and situations has, has changed uh, over that period of time. And um, the Old Testament was actually translated first into—was um, translated early into Greek and also into Aramaic. So when English translators came along and began to look over the Old Testament and translate it into English, they relied very heavily on um, earlier translations of those same scriptures. So as they're trying to figure out what this Hebrew word means in English and and how to kind of make those equal, they looked back at how the Greek translations and the Aramaic translations were used, and and so they could just kind of uh, uh, build it off of of that. So I, I think... Like we, we, we may kind of in the course of the series get to feel like, man, they just did a really poor job as we've looked uh, specifically at some of the words and how they're used. But I really think they did the, the best they could. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very hard to go back and change change the Bible, right? I mean, you can go back to other books and you can make some changes. But when you start messing with the Bible, and the, the, the words or the ways that we have recited and, and remembered passages of scripture for years, people tend to get, uh, t- they tend to get a little touchy ab- about that. Um, let, let me give you an example. A, a few years ago, I, maybe 15 years ago or 20 years ago or something, A guy by the name of Eugene Peterson wrote a new translation of the Bible called The Message. Anybody have the message version out there? Did you read it? Okay, a few of you. So um, when this new translation of the Bible came out, Eugene Peterson was uh, just raked over the coals by Really, by Christian people. I don't know if you're aware of this, but we can be really mean sometimes. Uh, like we're not supposed to be. We're supposed to be. Um, we're supposed to be loving and 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 help and. But, but sometimes, especially if we think somebody's messing with the Bible, we can be really mean. And so there were people out there who were, like, calling for Eugene Peterson to be, like, kicked out of the church. They called him a traitor to the faith um, because of this translation. And, and so um, w- what Eugene Peterson did is instead of just doing, like, a word-for-word translation of the Bible— He looked at the word-for-word translations, but he also looked at um, what's called thought-for-thought translation. So instead of just taking this word and translating into this word, he was like, okay, what's the author trying to get across in this sentence or in this paragraph? And then can I convey the same thought in a new way, in in a way that's easier for us to understand. And so um, Eugene Peterson got a really bad uh, rap. Here's what's happened over the last 15 or 20 years. Um, We have discovered that uh, his work in the message, uh, in my opinion, is some of the best translation work ever of the Bible. And it's different, and, it, and, it, and it's not the same, and, and you're not going to, like, if you, if you go to look up a verse in the message version, you're not going to find it oftentimes, because what it'll pull up is a whole paragraph of, of text, because, again, thought for thought, not just word for word. And so it takes a little bit of, of getting used to, but actually, the scholarly work that he did in, in the message is is really incredible. And I think Part of the reason that that's the case is because um, the, the New Living Translation, the NIV, the NASV, uh, the Century English Version, the uh, English Standard, I mean, there's a ton of them out there, right? They don't have the freedom to just change things because people have learned, we've memorized verses from a particular translation, and if that changes, then we think they've messed. They've messed with Scripture you're doing it wrong you're saying it wrong that's that's not right and so we get really uh we get really angry and upset about that um, and so it just becomes difficult to change modern translations even though the change is probably better than the way that we learned it, the original thing. So in this series, we're not trying to mess with the Bible at all. We're simply trying to better understand how the ancient Jewish people processed and applied the same words, the same passages that we're reading today. And so um, let's get to it. Like we've done the last few weeks, let's let's say it uh, together. Okay, here we go. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I hope that as you see this and read this now, when you come to words like love and heart and soul, you're thinking about those Hebrew words and what those words really mean and not just the letters on on the page. So um, we're going to go back and, and let's kind of uh, look over what we have looked at before. The first word we looked at is the word hear. It's the Hebrew word shema. It means to listen and obey. It means to hear and to heed. The second word we looked at in the uh, shema is the word love. And the, the uh, Hebrew word is "ahava." And if you were good at it, you could get all the little tongue rolls and the gravelly thing in your, and I'm not, Scholar, so I don't uh, do that very well. But ahava is love, and, and when God uses this term, he uses it in, in a way that means loving not just in word, but in deed, also your attitude of love, and then the action of love, we might say it this way, that you would love with your head and with your hands, right? That love is a, is a physical thing, it's a tangible thing. And so that's how we're to love God. The third word we looked at was heart. It's the word lev. We probably spend the least amount of time on that Hebrew word, but um, it's where the Jewish people believe that we process the world around us was in, in the heart, right? They didn't have all the medical and anatomy knowledge that we have today. And so they believed that the heart in the center of our body was um, how everything happens, where all of our thoughts and ideas and our, our uh, decisions and emotions, all of that came from. The heart was supposed to be the center of our actions and our, our attitudes. And so um, that's the way that that word was conveyed. The next word we looked at was soul last week. It's the word nephesh. And and it is not an a levitating spirit. It it does not have that connotation that when we die, our spirit separates from um, our our body. It's really the whole of who we are as human beings. It's the physical and the eternal parts, and they're all kind of rolled up into one. And the last word we're going to look at today in the series is the word strength. The, the Hebrew word that's used there is meod. Uh, and, and, and we're going we're gonna to talk about what that word means um, today. Now, um, unlike nephesh, which appeared uh, 700, a little more than 700 times in the Old Testament, me'od appears around 300 times in the Old Testament. And despite its translation in uh, Deuteronomy 6 as strength, me'od never, never, never means physical strength strength. So if you were reading the Shema and you said, I'm supposed to love God with all of my strength, that's completely wrong. It has nothing to do with physical strength. So just try and kick that out of your um, mind. Now, there is a Hebrew word that means physical strength. Um, uh, and, and, but it's not, that's not the same word that they use here. It's used in other places in uh, Scripture in the Old Testament, but not here. And um, I, I think you'll see, you'll see why as we go on today, you'll see why they translated maod into strength. Um, but just, just erase the idea of physical strength um, from, from your mind. So one of the best ways to not only discover what uh, old or ancient words mean, but really for us today to uncover, if we're looking at a passage of scripture and it's, it's a little difficult to understand, um, one of the best ways, maybe the best way to understand what the author was trying to get uh, across is to go back in the Bible and look at all of the places where that particular word or thought or idea is used. And, and so that's really the, the course that we have taken over this series. Um, what is the Hebrew word, and then how is it used in other places in the Hebrew text? And, and so we say it this way, that the best interpretation of the Bible is to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read words like strength, and we're going to immediately think, I have to love God with my physical ability. I've got to lift heavy things for God, and I've got to do work with my hands. I've got to have callous hands because I'm supposed to love God with my strength. That's how we might process it today. But when you look at the word ma'od and you go back into the Bible and look at all the other places that it's used and how it's used, you find out that it doesn't mean physical strength. Um, at all, and so uh, we say in biblical interpretation, we say context is king, which means you always have to look at the context of where the word or the phrase or the idea is used to understand what the author was trying to trying to say. Um, And so uh, when deciphering a word or thought or idea, go back to the Bible and look at how it's used in other places because that gives you the best understanding of the word itself. Now, the literal translation of the Hebrew word me'od is very or much, not strength at all, very or much. In in fact, if you go and look up a Hebrew dictionary, you'll find that um, ma'od actually means this. Uh, Go to the next one, Julie. Maybe. Okay, this is from um, BibleStudyTools.com. I use this all the time. It's a great resource. Anyway, look at this definition. Muchness. When was the last time you used that word in a sentence? Muchness. Okay, and when you look down at the definitions, you'll find that the idea of strength is not there. Well, I go, how could they translate the word into strength when maod never means strength? Now, it means might or force or abundance or exceedingly muchness, but it doesn't mean strength. Strength. And so um, think about it this way. According to the English grammar rules, maod would be considered an adverb. So um, an adverb is a, is a helper word that goes before a verb or another adverb, or in all culture today, um, several adverbs usually before you get to the, the object verb. Um, and and the, the adverb is used to just give greater emphasis um, to to the thing that you're that you're saying. So instead of saying, uh, guys, you might relate to this one. Instead of saying she's late, wh- what will we say? She's always late. So that's an adverb. It's helping explain to us. How late she actually is. Or we don't just say, I'm hungry. We say, I'm very hungry. Hungry. He's really strong. I'm super excited. We use words like that all the time. Uh, Let me just uh, take it a step out. Because if you know somebody who uh, uh, has that victim personality or mentality, like everything's always wrong, they use adverbs all the time. Life isn't just bad, it's, it's absolutely horrible, nothing ever was just terrible, uh, awful uh, place, right? So we know how we use these kind of words. So an adverb is a word that more expressively defines another word. And so the adverbs in this sentence would be like more, Um, and maybe expressively, and that helps us understand the other words in the sentence. So we're going to look at some of the ways ancient Hebrew authors used maod as an adverb. Uh, Places like in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, at the end of each of the first five creation days, what does God say at the end? He looks at everything he's created, and he says it's Good that's right but what does he say on day 6 of creation he says it's me'o'd good i don't even see oh it's me'od. it's very Good. That's the Hebrew uh, word for that. In the story of Noah, the flood waters continue to rise, and, and in the Hebrew it says they are maod mighty, and it's a little different in our translation today, um, but the original says the the flood waters rose up over the mountains. They were maod mighty. When Cain uh, killed his brother Abel, um, it says he was maod angry, very angry with, uh, with Abel so that he murdered him. When Saul is crowned king of Israel, the first king that Israel has ever had, everybody rejoiced and they were ma'od happy is the original Hebrew text there. And so maod is a, is a fairly common ancient word because it intensified the meaning of the words that followed it. And, and of course, um, we do that all the time in our daily, uh, daily lives. We use these adverbs to more expressively uh, get our point uh, across, um, and so um, uh, here's a little uh, maybe uh, exercise for you for the rest of the weekend, the rest of today. Uh, just take a mental log of all the times that you use an adverb in conversation with somebody else uh, for the rest of the day. You'll, you'll find that we uh, generally use them um, quite a lot in our just everyday talking because we want to express how we really feel or emotion or whatever's going on in our lives. But biblical writers didn't only use me'od um, in, in this way to be very or, or much um, and intensify other words. They actually used me'od in, in some unique ways. Um, that really are, that they're unique, but they are kind of common to Hebrew writers. For instance, there are times where ma'od in the Old Testament is repeated in order to more, uh, more expressively, I don't know, emphasize a word. Like they're trying to lift that word to its maximum capacity. They want to make sure that you understand that you're not just happy but it's exploding out of you. It's pouring out of you, and you just cannot contain it. Um, And and so there are places like in Genesis 30, 43, where it says uh, uh, Jacob became very wealthy, and the Hebrew text actually says, me'od, me'od, wealthy. He's really, really wealthy. Wealthy. It's literally repeated twice in that text. In Numbers 14, 7, Moses sends the 12 spies. Uh, they're at Kadesh Barnea. They've just uh, exited Egypt. They send 12 spies up into the promised land to kind of scope it out, check it out, see what it's like. And the spies come back, and they say that the land is meod, meod, good. Very, very. It was exceedingly good. It's the best place you could ever imagine. So meo doesn't just mean strength like muscle power. It means very or much. So in the Shema, we are to love God with all of our heart or our will and affection, everything that we have, every way that we express love, we're supposed to express that love to God. We're to love God with all of our soul, meaning the whole of our, our life and our physical being, every aspect of who we are. And we're to love God with our strength or um, our muchness, which, again, is weird, but, but I, I think you're going to undersee. So when ancient scholars translated the Old Testament into Greek, they often translated the word meod into the Greek word dunamis. Now, that, that may sound familiar to you, and you may not know that you were a Greek scholar, but you, but you could be. Dunamis is where we get the English word dynamite. So when the Greek scholars translated Meod, they translated into Dunamis, which means power or strength, but only in terms of like an explosion, a, a strong storm. They weren't talking about physical strength. They were talking about this uncontrollable, explosive kind of power that happens. In fact, oftentimes dunamis is translated power and not, and not strength. Um, and, and so when English translators came along and they looked at the Greek translations of the Old Testament, they saw this word dunamis, and, and they saw that sometimes they called it strength. And that's really m- one of the primary ways why there's a few places in the Old Testament where me'od is translated into strength because um, they were using it like this like this power, this explosive kind of part of who we are. Now, um, uh, the Old Testament was also translated into Aramaic, and when those scholars translated me'od, they looked for a more concrete way to get the point across. And so they... Uh, often used the word wealth in place of ma'od. And, and they did that because they could more easily wrap their head around that um, idea. Um, because wealth is not really an abstract. Like it's, it's, there's a concrete aspect to it. You, you have it or you don't, I guess. And, and so they looked at it like that. Um, and and I, I think that's a little bit better of an idea or a way to translate me'od um, in some context. I think it's better than, than strength, like physical strength, um, for sure, because uh, when you have wealth, you can be, be me'od generous. You can support mission and, and ministry. There are things that you can do with that that, that are concrete, that you can see, that, that are visual things that improve the situation um, for others. And so today, we would uh, probably understand a little better loving God with all of our wealth probably more than than we would understand how we love God with all of our our, um, explosiveness. Uh, This seems kind of strange. Now, um, so neither the Greek or the uh, 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 Aramaic translations are necessarily wrong. Um, They just don't translate into modern English uh, very well for us to understand. Um, And so about 1,500 years after Moses first uh, spoke the Shema to to the people... Uh, Jesus, this new prophet on the, the scene, new rabbi or teacher, he was asked by somebody, what is the greatest commandment? It's something every Jewish teacher uh, was asked. And, um, and so Jesus is asked this question, and Jesus puts kind of a twist um, on it. Um, he, he actually uses two words to kind of unpack the Hebrew word, uh, May So let's um, look at that. He says, "This uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. We got that. With all your soul, we got that. And then he says, with all your mind and with all your strength." Now again bad translation, and I couldn't find one that actually used the word power, but if you look at the Greek, which probably Jesus was speaking Greek at the time, um, he, he would have said, love God with all your mind and with all your, your power, your dunamis um, here. And so, Jesus uses two words to describe the one word, um, meod, power and uh, and mind, and um, the folks at the Bible Project, they uh, said this about it: uh, both mind and power, they're human capacities that can be used to love God and others in an infinite number of ways. And and so, um, does meod mean power? or does it mean wealth, or does it mean the mind? Like, how are we supposed to in, interpret it? And, and the answer to that question is, is yes. It, it means all of those things. Um, all of them and, and, and probably more. Ma'od doesn't limit the ways in which a person can love God and, and love others. It, we're, we're not supposed to just love God with one aspect here. We're really supposed to love him with everything. And, and Ma'od creates space for each of us in our own unique ways. According to the gifts, the aptitudes um, that we each have, we can love God in an infinite number of ways as the Spirit leads and guides each of us um, each and every day. And so that's, that's what we're trying to get our, our hands on. And so every aspect of our lives, every moment, every opportunity... Every uh, ability that we have, every capacity that we hold, every dollar, every decision, everything that we have, everything about our life creates space for us to love God in a new way, to honor the one who made us, to love God with all of our muchness, with the things that make us unique in in the world. And and so we can love God in in ways that other people can't. Like I can love God maybe in ways that you can't, and you can love God in ways that I can't because I don't have that ability or capacity or aptitude. And so it's each of our unique things that make us us that are wrapped up in this word meod or muchness that allows us to love God. And so if meod intensifies any word to its total capacity, then the final thing that we're to use to love God isn't really a thing at all. It's, it's everything. It's everything. Loving God with your muchness means devoting every possibility and opportunity, every ability and capacity, and every aptitude you have to God to love him by loving others. Meod becomes then the most wide and expansive word that we've looked at so far in the Shema. This um, makes a lot of sense, I think, at least to me, when you think about it and when you process it, because we're not to love God with um, some of our heart, and we're not to love God with just a portion of our, our, our being. We're not just supposed to give God, like, space on the shelf. Um, we're supposed to love God with everything that we have or will have, we're to love God with, with everything that we are and everything that we that we will be, with every platform and every possibility. God is to not just be a part of our lives. He's supposed to be at the center of it. He's supposed to be um, in, involved in everything that we do. There's There's nothing that we do in our lives as followers of Jesus where we are to go, God's not a part of this. Like I can make this decision, I can do this thing outside of my relationship with God. Every relationship we have is supposed to, to be a relationship that is molded and, and, and guided and directed by god 's spirit working in us every job we take is, is a place that God has led us and brought us in order to to, to be a minister there and to, and to do something to be involved to share Jesus and to look more like Jesus every day in that spot, every neighborhood we move into and house and every thing that we do in our lives is an opportunity for us. To show God we love Him by loving others. Your um your your social media platform is a place to love God with all of your muchness. Your your job and 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 your relationships and and, and your schooling and your what what I'm like everything that we do is a place for our muchness to be infiltrated by by God and by what he's doing in the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Your aptitude for building things, um, for using technology, for connecting with people, all of those things that are unique to you are a way for you to love God with all of your muchness, The the guys who... Come early on Sunday morning and set up so that we can have church and everything can be ready for us when we come in. And the folks who stay after to help us pack the trailer, and the, and the people who volunteer in kids' church to help our kids learn about Jesus in a level and a way that they can understand. And the, and the folks who go into the nursery so that moms and dads can sit out here and pay attention and not be distracted by their by their kids. And the folks who run the camera and the and the presentation stuff and make the coffee and get the communion out here are all people. Loving loving God with their, with their muchness in the, in the way that God has gifted them and the abilities that God has, has given them. They're loving God in ways that are unique to them in some way. So when you write a check, when you uh, lift a box, when you send a note, when you post a prayer, you have the capacity to love God in that moment with all of your Muchness, And so the Shema is a, a simple reminder for each of us to use all that we have, all that we hold, to love God and to love others, to, to employ all that we are and all that we acquire to loving God by loving others that everything in our being and everything that we are blessed with will be used to love God by expressing love for others. That's how we love God with our muchness. And and so we're gonna end this um, series uh, with the Shema, but I'm gonna share it with you uh, in the way that it's translated in the message version. Um, you'll see that I think it's actually the best translation of all of them that I found um, that we more fully fully know what the Shema actually means. And so here's how Eugene Peterson translated it. Attention, Israel. God, our God. God, the one and the only. Love God, your God with your whole heart. Love Him with all that's in you. Love Him with all you've got. That's it, folks. (laughs) Love God with every decision and emotion. Love Him with every part of who you are as a human being, and then love Him with even more of all you have and hold, all of your muchness. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us when we don't love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength or power. Every day, in every way, you love us like this, with absolutely everything that you have. And the best way that we see that is when your son Jesus went to the cross and, and we talk a lot about his obedience to you and, the, and, and, and that he had to do this in order to secure um, salvation for us or the, or, or the taking away of our sins but really God, he, Jesus was just he was living out the Shema he was loving you with all that he has and then he was loving us with all of his, with his muchness, because only he had the ability to live our lives and die our death and secure eternity for us. And so God, um, he, he simply called us, he, he said to his disciples and to us, he said, um, follow my example, the way I have loved you should love, and so God help us. Help us to love you with all of our our will and our decisions um, and our emotions, and and help us to to love you with our with our our being, our our physical bodies, with our our soul and our spirit, with everything that you have given us, and the way that it all works together. And help us to love you in in the ways that you have uniquely gifted us and called us and and placed us on this planet, to love you with all of our, our muchness. God, help us to do that so that we might look more like your son Jesus each and every day. We might fill heaven because you've called us to be your examples. Thank you for loving us in this way. In Jesus' name.